0: The reading for this afternoon is taken from the letter to the Hebrews, and we'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 11, the verses 1 to 19, and you'll be able to find that on page 1381 of your pew Bible. It says, the infallible and inerrant word of God. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away So that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had heard this testimony, that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had the opportunity to return." But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So far, the Word of God. Today, we'll also be discussing the subject of true faith. And so, to aid in that, we'll be reading from Lord's Day 7 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And you'll be able to find that on page 523 of your book of praise. Are all men then saved by Christ? just as they perish through Adam? No. Only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. What is true faith? True faith is a sure knowledge whereby whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins Everlasting righteousness and salvation, out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the gospel. What then must the Christian believe? All that is promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith teach us in a summary. What are these articles? And so follows the Apostles' Creed, as we just sung it in Him too beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. Hearing the name of one person after another in this list of the hall of faith, it makes us wonder what their faith was like. This season is also the season when many students are beginning to consider or have already considered whether or not they are going to do profession of faith. They have either finished a pre-confession class or they are considering entering into one next fall. And the common questions that come up when reading passages like this or when considering a pre-confession class or professing your faith are How will I know if I'm ready? Is my faith good enough? Do I know enough? Have I come far enough to profess my faith? There may be others among you who feel that you struggle with feeling the presence of God as well. Is that a question of a lack of faith? Do I fall short there? Today we'll be looking at a number of these questions under the following theme. What is true faith? And we will be looking at them under the headings, true faith is a sure knowledge, and it's a firm confidence. So in the first place, our catechism begins with this description. It says, true faith is a sure knowledge. Now, to those of you who have struggled with your faith, or maybe you are struggling with your faith right now, this might seem like a tall order. A sure knowledge and certainty is exactly what you struggle with. You don't feel evidence of God's work in your life. You don't feel certain of his love. So how can you ask me to hold on with a a sure knowledge in faith when it's exactly on this point that I struggle? To give us a picture of what exactly this sure knowledge looks like and what exactly this means, it can be helpful to turn to the very first verse of our passage today in Hebrews. We read there, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Another translation puts it in this way, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Okay, so what does that mean? The first thing that's brought to our attention here in Hebrews 11 is the fact that God is the God of creation. The first few characters that we're introduced to here in the Hall of Faith didn't have the Bible that we have today. They didn't have the same knowledge of all of redemptive history, this wealth of knowledge that we've received today. But what they did have was passed down from their parents. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. At the command of God, the universe was created. Through the work of Jesus Christ, who was the word, this world was formed. From Adam to Abraham, this was enough for them. They had something they could hold on to, to know that there was a God. They could look at the wonders of creation all around them, and they could marvel at the intricacy of the smallest creature. And lying on their backs at night, they could marvel at the vastness of the universe and feel their smallness. They could see that there was a greater hand at work. They could see that an incredible power was necessary to pull all of this together that an incredible amount of design had to come together for everything to work. And it was this smallness that caused the pen of a man like King David to write many centuries after these men in Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? It's in reading passages like this that I'm reminded of a hike one of our professors in seminary took years ago that he told us about. On this hike, they ran into a person who was an atheist. On learning that this professor believed in God, the atheist said, I'm an atheist. But when I'm on the side of a mountain like this, far away from civilization, and I see the sky filled with stars, I feel so small. It's then that I have a hard time not believing that there's something else out there. Looking at the heavens, the earth, and all of creation, it's impossible not to recognize that there is a God who put it all together. We get so busy with our lives and so caught up with it all that we get distracted. But when we get out into creation, we can see the fingerprints of God all around us. The irreducible complexity of the world around us is the first thing that we can look to to remind us of the presence of God. That's the first thing that our attention is drawn to here in Hebrews. But there was more to it than that we read how Enoch, by faith, was taken away by God. He walked with God so closely and loved God so dearly that God took him up to heaven without seeing death. God delighted in him, and he took him up to heaven to spare him of all that was on earth and to have this man enjoy his presence forever. Through the passing down of his story through the generations, later fathers in the faith were able to learn that those who come to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. They only had to think back in their own family tree to remember the truth of that, that there was one among them who was rewarded for diligently seeking God. So, not only did they have the assurance of a God who exists by the power of his hand in creation, but they also had a family member who was taken up into heaven. Certainly, he was pretty far down the line for some of them, but it was true all the same. For us, we have the same knowledge, we have the same certainty. And that is what the catechism is pointing to when it says true faith is a sure knowledge. It's not, first and foremost, a sure knowledge of my own feelings. We read in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our feelings will go up and down. Our emotions will often, because of sin, be used as a weapon against us. The devil will whisper into our ears saying, you don't sense God's presence or his love? That must mean he doesn't exist, or at least if he does, he doesn't care about you. But true faith refuses to accept that. No, it says. Instead, it's a sure knowledge, not of our own emotions, but it's a sure knowledge of God. It's a sure knowledge that He exists. It's looking around us and seeing His handiwork everywhere. It's looking back in history and seeing what He has already accomplished, what He has already fulfilled. And recognizing that He will be faithful to His promises, because He has been. More specifically, it's a sure knowledge whereby we accept as true all that God has revealed to us in His Word. Through faith, you can look to the Bible, and by the power of the Holy Spirit working in your heart, you can confess that I believe that this is true. I believe that this is the inspired, meaning breathed out by God. It comes from God. Inerrant, having no mistakes. And infallible, incapable of making mistakes, incapable of failing It's the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. I don't know everything there is to know in and about the Bible, and I don't always understand what I read in the Bible. But I believe, I believe that it's God's Word, that it's true, that it's holy, that it's right. For those early fathers of the faith, it's the word of God that they had received, passed down to them, which is what, what what they confessed. That there not only was a God who created the world, but that this God who spoke with them and interacted with them or with their fathers could be found if they went looking for him, and that he was true to his promises. That was their expression of trust. That was the faith that gave them a firm foundation to go ahead with. And the fact that we even have that trust is evidence of the Holy Spirit beginning to work in us. The fact that we believe in the Word of God as His infallible, inerrant Word shows us this. And that brings us to our second point. True faith is a firm confidence. So you believe that God exists. You believe in the truth of the Bible. Is that enough? Well, the answer to that question is no. It's not enough to simply read the label on a medicine bottle and believe that it has the possibility to heal you. We read in James 2 verse 19 that such faith is lacking. It's written there, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe in that and tremble. No, we need more. The Holy Spirit doesn't just leave us with a head knowledge of the Bible and doesn't just convict us of the fact that this is true. But as we begin to know God's Word more and more, and as we begin to trust in it and in God more and more, God brings us to the realization that these promises are not only for others. They're not just for for those other people out there. But these promises are for me. And I pray that this reality is true for all of you who are sitting here in the pew. If you're here visiting, and this is your first time, or second time, or third time, or however many times you've come, and you have received a Bible And you're reading through it. It's my prayer that this would be true for you as well. That God's word would become true for you personally as well. That the truth would become precious to you personally as well. That it's not just for those other people who are sitting in the pew around you right now. It's not just for that Dutch Reformed crowd but it's for you. God brings us to the realization that it's not only for others, but it's also for me. But before we further get into that, let's ask ourselves for a moment, what does that firm confidence of faith look like? Well, let's take a look at two people in particular that we're introduced to here in our passage in Hebrews 11. First, we're introduced to Abraham. Well, we're actually first introduced to Abel and a few others, but the first one that we're going to look at in particular is Abraham. Here we see a man who expresses a confidence in a God who is bigger than his faith. From time to time, you may run into people who say, you just need more faith. But what does Jesus say? He says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can command this mountain to be uprooted and cast itself into the sea. Of course, his point is not that we need to go around commanding mountains. His point is that the amount of faith you have is not the point. Rather, if you have faith then you have a God who is able to do, as we read in Ephesians 3 verse 20, who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And that's the God who was at work in Abraham. God had called Abraham in Genesis 12. He promised him a new land, that he would be made into a great nation, that he would be blessed, and that his name would be made great, and that all nations would be blessed Through him. God's blessings went far beyond Abraham's faith. You only have to think about his stumblings during his journeys. If you've read it, do you remember the time when he lied about who he was and who his wife was? Because just for a moment he slipped in believing that God could protect him. God's blessings went far beyond Abraham's faith. And he had no idea of those who would follow in his footsteps, looking to him as their example in the faith. He had no idea that millennia later there would still be those who respected him or that his name would appear in the Bible. Our faith doesn't have the grand scope of God's plan in it, God's plan for our lives personally. But because we have a God who is bigger than our faith, we can know that he blesses us immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. We also sometimes have fears that our faith isn't good enough. We believe, but does it measure up? Well, this is where we can look to the next figure in our passage. Sarah. Sarah, the wife of Abraham. We read there, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive a child. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. It's an interesting thing to note, especially considering how small her faith is in our eyes when we read about this account in Genesis 18. We think, okay, Sarah herself also... Received strength by faith to conceive a seed, and she bore a child. Well, what happened in Genesis eighteen? God came to her, told her she would have a child, and she laughed. Is that faith? What happened there? And immediately after that, being scared at being caught, being scared of the fact that she was caught, she lied about laughing. But though she could not believe in herself that such an old woman who was barren for so many years could bear a son, she trusted that God was faithful. She may not have believed that she could do it. She may even have been caught in a lie. But we read here, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged God to be faithful. She didn't look to herself. She looked to God. And she judged, looking back on history, looking back on the way that God had provided for her husband, Abraham, looking back on the way that God had provided for for Noah, for Abel, for all of those others. She judged that God was faithful faithful. And it was because of that she trusted in a God who she knew was greater than her shortcomings. She trusted in a God who was better than her faith. Remember again the father with the sick son from Mark 9 verse 24. When you're struggling with this question of, is my faith good enough? Remember the man from Mark 9, verse 24. He cried out to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. And it was that seed of faith that Jesus saw within him and delighted in. Remember the criminal on the cross beside Jesus who had made a complete mess of of his entire life and reached the point where he was hanging there and he said he said to the other criminal on the other side we're here justly we're here rightfully we belong here even he acknowledged that he belonged there on the cross the consequences of his actions remember this man who couldn't say anything else apart from jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom When we see Sarah and we see that desperate father and the hopeless and helpless criminal beside Jesus on the cross, we can see one common theme. Although they were weak, they put their trust in someone who they knew was stronger than they were. They put their trust in the one who was better than their faith. Finally, we're brought to the point in Hebrews where Abraham offers up his son. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. By the way, this was that exact same son of whom they had just spoken in verse 11 there of Hebrews 11. That was the son who came by the promise. That was Sarah's son. How is it possible that this man could offer up his son in this way. Abraham was able to offer his son because he believed in the other promises that God had offered him. We read, He who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac shall their seed be called. How? Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. It was the promise of God, the faithfulness of God that fed his faith to the point that he was able to surrender his son Isaac to God. It was God who had walked with him along that journey. And this wasn't something that he was suddenly able to do right from the beginning, the moment that he left Haran. But it was God who walked alongside him in that journey Feeding his faith and building his faith and growing his faith over time. Showing himself to be faithful to his promises. It was that God that built his faith to the point where he was able to rely so strongly on those promises. And so likewise, we're reminded that God builds our faith in the same way. We read in Romans 10 verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is worked in us by hearing what God promises to us and seeing his faithfulness to his promises fulfilled to his people in scripture. Reading about God's faithfulness to people like Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob. Hearing about the parting of the Red Sea and the miracles of Elijah for a faithless people. The Holy Spirit uses all of these things to build our confidence and our faith. And then to discover the promises of God and His Word to us, His people today, and to lay claim to them and see them being fulfilled in our lives, all of these things increase our faith. All of these things encourage us to remember that it's not only to others that God does this. It's not only for others that God does this. But this is a promise that's true for me as well. It's also to me that God has spoken. But most importantly, it's the knowledge of Jesus Christ who came into the world and suffered and died for his people as the pinnacle and as the fulfillment of his word here that becomes more and more real to us every day when we spend time in God's word, in God's truth. It leads us to confess that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. Not for the sake of anything I've done, but only for the sake of what Christ has done. And it's for that reason that our catechism highlights the fact that this Holy Spirit this, this faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the gospel. God builds our faith. And he builds it ultimately through that pinnacle promise found in Jesus Christ. I that not to be an encouragement for us to spend time in the word of God, especially when our faith seems the most frail. So reflecting on the fact that God works beyond what we can think or imagine in our faith, and that He promises to build our faith where we know that it isn't good enough, where we feel that it isn't good enough. That gives us a firm confidence in Him. Because it's not on the basis of our faith that we're saved. It's on the basis of a God who is capable of working powerfully to sustain and to build that faith. And so We don't trust in our own faith. We trust in the God in whom our faith is set. We trust that God exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And taking hold of these promises, just like Abraham did, and just like Sarah took hold of them, that our faith is increased. Not following steps, to seek an earthly reward, but abandoning self for a heavenly kingdom. And this is not just because of strength the strength of our faith. It's because of the one in whom our faith is set. All of God's blessings come through faith. It's by grace that we have been saved through faith. We read in Ephesians 2 verse 8. Christ has accomplished everything for us. And we move forward in the confidence of that truth. Beloved, let this be your hope too. Not believing in a God who judges you according to the measure, according to the amount of your faith. But believing in a God who completes your faith in every way necessary believing that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So to the question, ought I to profess my faith or join a class? Is my faith strong enough to stand up to the profession I made last year, to the profession I made five years ago, 50 years ago? It's not a question of having arrived. It's a recognition that you're on the beginning of a journey, being new in Christ, It's not a question of having all the answers, but it's a recognition that you have a God who is faithful to his promises and who watches over you every step of the way along that journey. It's a recognition that he supplies everything that he demands. It's a recognition that you don't know everything, but that you firmly and absolutely trust in the one who does know, and you trust that he will lead you. And so true faith leads us to answer the questions, do I believe? Do I believe that God exists and reward those who seek him? Do I believe that God can do more than my poor, weak faith can handle? Do I trust in the words of the Bible that not only for others, but also for me, Christ has died? Do I believe that I stand as pure and holy before God for the sake of Christ, even when that may seem almost impossible from my point of view? true faith answers all these questions and doubts with a resounding yes. Yes, I know that of myself, my faith is weak. My faith is frail. But where I am weak, He makes me strong. If I believe that God exists and He rewards those who seek Him, and I live that belief, seeking Him through Jesus Christ, I not only can, but I must, profess my confidence in this faith, not only before the congregation, but before our families, before our siblings, before our neighbors, before the world. Let us then profess our faith and not limit it to one special day, Certainly if we need to make that public declaration yet before the congregation and we truly believe that God's promises are real for us, let's loudly and proudly say that to everyone that Jesus is mine and in him God sees me as holy and righteous. Because of that I want to live for him as imperfect as my faith or abilities may be. And let us together confess for God will never those disown who put their trust in him alone. Amen.